Hello, this is Catherine, and welcome to another day of random stuff. Today, Pastor Bray talks about Paul and Silas being arrested and thrown in jail in Acts 16, and I hope you enjoy it. So the, the verses of scripture that I read today... Um, say something a little differently than the ones that were in our um, planning Bibles that we use. The, the Roman soldier says, what must I do to be saved? But I like this reading, what must I do to be rescued? Because the idea of saved, I don't know about all of you, but when I was growing up, we had all these televangelists on TV, and they talked about being saved. And the way that you got saved was you said some prayer and they believed you had it then. And, you know, there's that guy with the big smile and the, you know, 14,000 foot square foot house and the big plane. But that guy and lots of other ones alike, they all would say, if you say this prayer, then you are saved. And you don't have to do another darn thing. One and done, man. If you got saved when you were 12, it doesn't matter if you mass murdered 100 people because you got saved. Okay. I don't know. I got really scared when I was a kid because the Roman Catholics don't believe in that stuff. But I didn't know who was right. Was it the saved people or the communion people? Was it the nuns or, or the guy on TV? How do we know what it means to be saved? And you know, there's lots of saving going on, right? If you, if you pay attention to any kind of, of scripture, people are always getting saved. Isaac gets saved at the last minute with a goat that comes out and saves uh, his, his father Abraham from killing him as a sacrifice. Um, Joseph is saved from the well. We see people throughout scripture who are saved, but they never said that prayer. And they never seem to go do different things. And, and none of them are standing with bullhorns yelling at anybody else that I can see. And so I don't really understand what it means to be saved. So as usual... I did some research. And I did some research specifically about this reading because the very first person who kind of gets saved in this reading is a slave girl. I don't like to call her a slave girl. She is a girl who is enslaved. She is more than just a slave. But she has a spirit inside of her that allows her to see the future. Now, if I had that person around me, I would be like, okay, what's going to happen next year in the election? But she annoys Paul to no end. And you know, if he had just started with, in the name of Jesus Christ, I would have taken that as a curse. In the name of Jesus Christ, woman, be quiet, right? But no, he says, I command you to leave her. And it left at that very moment. And so... If you want to talk about being saved, well, Paul saved this poor girl from being possessed. But I think Paul stops a little short. And if you have spent any time thinking or reflecting on the idea of people being enslaved, Paul did not save her from being a possession, you see. So she saved in one sense. She saved from the torment of the spirit that was driving her to do these things, but she is not saved from her life. We think about this a lot, right? Because we think if we are saved, then everything's going to be just fine. 
if we are saved, our lives are going to be better and perfect, actually. We expect perfection. But this shows us an example of the already and the not yet that is always in push and pull in the scripture. Because this servant girl, she is already saved from the spirit that was tormenting her. And yet, she might need a while longer to be truly saved. Maybe wait till the year of Jubilee when all enslaved peoples are set free in every seven years. It's an interesting idea to think about what saves an individual. Because I believe that what saves us is different for all of us. We all can recount a story of the moment that we were whipped back from the brink of something. I watched a movie this week, and if you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix, and it is amazing. It's called Lion. Anybody seen it? It's about a man who is living in Australia. He is a man of East Indian descent, and his name is Saru Beersley, and he's wonderful. And he goes into his life as a five-year-old boy having been adopted by this Australian couple. They're white, he's brown, that makes no difference to them, and the story's not about that. But this little boy has a story behind why he's an orphan at five years old. It turns out he's not an orphan. He's a little boy. He's five years old, and he goes with his older brother, Garu, to a next town over, by train, they jumped on the train, they weren't legally on the train, of course. They jumped on the train and Garou went to look for work. These were very impoverished people. And in the night, Saru falls asleep and the train takes off. And it's not a train that's in service, so all the doors are locked. He can't get out of the train. He's in a beautiful passenger section with no food, no water, and he goes 1,200 miles away from home. He doesn't know his mother's name. Her name is Ami, mother. He knows he has a brother named Garu, but that's some sort of a nickname. And he can't tell the people who don't even speak his language. They're speaking Bengali as opposed to Hindu, Hindi. He can't even tell them where he's from. And so after some period of time, after having his, his picture in the paper for months on end, a social worker comes to him and says, we have sent your picture all over. More than 15 million people read this Bombay newspaper. And no one has come to claim you. And he, she says, what do you think about going to live in Australia? Well, what's a five-year-old to do? And so he does. He goes to Australia, and he meets his parents, and they are wonderful to him. They adopt a little brother for him later on. He learns to sail, and he plays um, cricket, and he lives by the ocean, and he has a wonderful life. But in the back of his head, he knows something is missing. And so at the age of 20, when he goes away to college, he starts looking for his parents, And there's this new thing in the 1990s called Google Earth. And all they had to do was figure out how many days he was on the train. And then figure out the average speed at which the train travels. Sounds like a physics problem to me. And figure out where he might have come from. He spends four years tracing every train in a radius from each direction of where he might have come from. 
and he's just about to give up. And one day he clicks on Google Earth and he follows a track, and he follows the track to a water tower that looks familiar. And he follows it a little bit further, and he figures out that what he's been saying is the name of his town, which is Berlale, is really Bera, Lale, two words. No one knew what he was saying. He was just a little boy. And so he goes to this town, and muscle memory takes him to his mother's home. And he's reunited with his mother on that day. And I started reflecting, first of all, if you want a good cry, highly recommended. I started thinking, who saves who in this movie? It's a movie all about different kinds of salvation. There's this little boy who is lost and alone, and no one is caring for him, and there's dangers in the streets. And he's saved by a teenager who looks out of the window and goes, why is there a five-year-old sitting outside this restaurant? And takes him to the police. And then the little boy is saved again because he's taken to this horrible orphanage. But even though there's 80,000 children missing each year in India, this one boy somehow is plucked from this orphanage and taken to a home. He's saved again. And he grows up in comfort. He grows up to be the light of two people's eyes. He's saved. And one more time, he goes back to India and he sees his family and his whole culture comes back to him. And once again, he's saved. And now it's his turn. He buys his mother a house and she never has to work again. He's saved. The fact that he and his brother disappeared meant that his other two children, that her other two children could get an education. He also saved them just by not being there. Now, Saru says, and I saw an interview with him this week, and he said that he was, as a little boy, without salvation and without solace. But now he's been saved twice. That's what he said. What is it that makes a person saved? What saves them? And we all know these people who are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good, right? Do we know these people? They're saved so they don't have to pay attention to this other stuff that goes on in the world. They don't have to notice anything else because they are already saved and they're going to be up here doing their thing regardless of what's going on out there, right? And I have to say that Paul sometimes challenges me. I wanted to slap him when he didn't set that girl free. But I remember the times, and I remember the place, and so I try to put aside this no heavenly, no earthly good thing for Paul and Silas, and I show you, and, and it shows you in the scripture that Paul and Silas are clearly not in bondage, even though their feet are in the stocks, and they've been beaten and arrested. There's nothing holding them there. They are singing and praising God in the innermost cell in a Roman prison. Their lives are in jeopardy. Their very lives are at stake here. And yet, because they know who they are and whose they are, they don't need to be afraid. You know, Nelson Mandela spent 27 years in prison in South Africa. 18 of those were in solitary confinement. And yet when he is asked how he survived his imprisonment, he says, I was never in jail. They might have held me here, but my mind was always free. 
And I think about Paul, and I think about that old song, Amazing Grace, right? And Paul was on the road to Emmaus. Paul was blinded, remember? He was blind, but now he sees. And now he's been saved in a way that is so consequential that whatever you do to him is just what you did to his body because his mind is free. And you know, some of us, some of us who live in this town, some of us that we know and love, some of us who might even be in our own families, some are saved only in death. Many of you know that my uh, brother-in-law, Joe, died of cancer that was related to his AIDS diagnosis. And Joe was saved in a certain sense. He had spoken to his missionary aunt, and he said the prayer, one and done. And I had an aunt come up at his funeral and say, do you know if he was saved? And I answered, of course he was. Of course he was saved. You know why? Because in his last days, even though he was not saved from horrible drug addiction, even though he was not saved from a life that he had spent in homelessness, even though he was not saved from the illness that would eventually take his life from the despair and indignities of sleeping night after night on the street and under bridges and of having to put things in your vein lest you be sick, even though he was not saved by any of that, he died on clean sheets and he went home to God where he was finally saved from that life. Salvation takes so many different paths. I bet if each one of us were to be asked the question, what saved you? What saved you? Where did you get your freedom? Where did you get the freedom to love who you love? Where did you get to freedom to be who you are? Where did you get the, feel, the freedom to assume the job that you knew you could do? Where does your salvation come from? We have one more example. Just in this little bit of scripture, just from 1 to 24 verses, we get one more amazing example of someone who is saved in the already and the not yet. Because we see this Roman guard. And this Roman guard is standing, sleeping, actually, as the earthquake comes. And all of the doors are opened, and all of the locks are freed. Every prisoner in the building could have said, bye, Felicia. But they didn't. What they did, what they did was they waited. They hung out. It was dark. They knew they were supposed to be there. They were waiting to see what God would do. But the Roman soldier, he doesn't have that belief and understanding of God, right? He doesn't know what it is that God can do. Or more importantly, that there is nothing that God cannot do, amen? He doesn't know that. And so he's terrified. And the first thing he thinks to do is take his sword to himself because he knows what the penalty will be for losing these prisoners, particularly Paul and Silas, whom he put in the most innermost cell of the church, of the church, of the room. He knows what the penalty will be. And he's saved in the here and now, in the already, by Paul saying, wait, we're all still here. You're okay. You're safe. And overcome with emotion, the Roman guard says, what must I do 
to be saved. It's a different thing, right? What must I do to be saved? How can I step out of this reality and step into the one in which God walks beside me every day? What does it mean to be saved? And Paul answers him very simply. Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ. Because that's what you need to do to be saved. And saved does not mean that everything's going to be great starting tomorrow. Saved does not mean that you're going to be able to eat cake without it putting hips on you. Saved does not mean that you're going to get up in the morning and you can drive your car anywhere you want and you can ignore the stoplights and stop signs and drive out in the middle of the road and nothing's going to happen to you. You do not have a safety shield when you are saved. Saved sometimes hurts. It hurts to be saved. It hurts sometimes to be saved because you know the pain of this world. If you are truly saved, you can look out and see what it is that others are struggling with. When you are saved, you can know the pain of those who are still going through their lives in a way that they have not yet found their own way. I don't believe you say just one prayer. I think it's a series of prayers throughout a person's life. And I don't think that salvation happens in an instant for most of us. I think it's a lifetime. I think that the salvation is there for us to grasp, to hold our hands out, and in the amazing grace of God, receive it. But I think that we, we must know it's there. We must know to look for it. We must know to ask for it. And when it comes to us, we must know that we've had it. So what must I do to be saved, he says. And the answer is different for any of us. Everybody has a different story. But eventually, it all ends up in one place. It ends in grace. Grace of the already and the not yet. It ends in God's amazing grace. Amen. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. You can find me on Facebook at Kathy McIntyre. You can find my show at anchor.fm slash Kathy-McIntyre. You can find me on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Search for Catherine's Random Stuff. And you can contact me at kathymc32575 at gmail.com. And I'll talk to you next week.